0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show's Total Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. Pro bodybuilder, natural bodybuilder, world champion. How many times? 21-time world champion, Ron Williams. Ron, thanks for stopping by. And wow, that's amazing to be a world champ that many times. You must have put some effort into that to get to that, to be that, to achieve at the highest level.
1: (laughs) At least a little bit. (laughs)
0: <laughs> uh, just a little bit. Oh, my gosh. So let's kind of go back to the journey. Did you always want to be this fitness guru growing up?
1: No, as a matter of fact, uh, Neil, I didn't, man. Uh, I had no idea that that was inside of me. You know, I was born and raised in the ghetto and just didn't have any vision for life, just survival, man.
0: So no vision for life. So where what get, where did you grow up? I grew up in Indianapolis, Indiana. And kind of just a very, very, very poor family then. You said you grew up in the ghetto.
1: Yeah, yeah, extremely poor. And yeah, survival was the thing for me. I just wanted to, you know, try to survive
0: from one day to the next. And that's, that's the, 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 the point and the challenge, Ron, is just dealing with surviving in life. And then you go through these ups and downs. So when you were at that time point where you were in survival mode, did you ever think you'd be where you are today? Absolutely not. I had no idea
1: that that was inside of me that I could ever do anything that was worthwhile. You know, um, I was, uh, like I said, born and raised in the ghetto, but I wasn't raised by my parents. I was dropped off at the babysitter's uh, and just a really, really rough time, you know, as a,
0: as a youngster, man. Absolutely. So let's kind of, so what kind of turned you around do, when you were in growing up were you a good kid or did you were you mischievous
1: i was the worst <laughs> the worst
0: oh no i was the worst
1: yeah uh, for a lot of years i was suicidal when i almost died i didn't try to kill myself uh, after that but i just didn't like life i didn't love my own life so i didn't care about anybody else's either
0: how, it wasn't how old until were i wasn't you when you were at that rock bottom point uh,
1: I remember being depressed from the time I was probably three years old, three years old until I was 28. Oh, no. And and at 13, I was, you know,
0: is when I stopped trying to commit suicide. So what changed? So you said you're dealing with depression to 28. But at 13 years old, how did you kind of get a little bit out of that rut? What did you do? change well
1: two things two things actually happened i had a guy a good friend of mine uh next door neighbor he fell out of a tree and he fell on a rake and and the rake hit his head and just penetrated his head and this guy didn't die i thought for certain he's gonna die he didn't die but he was deformed so i thought man if i try to do something uh to to take myself out of here i might i may end up just deformed and still have to be exactly, here, and it's that much work so when I was 28 years old um, is when I started my relationship with God and that's what drastically changed my life uh, I was illiterate till I was 28 and wow. I learned how to read I had learned how to read at 28 because I had to be able to read the Bible man if I wanted to know God and then uh, by 35 I had uh, written a book and became a professor by
0: 40. Okay, so in that process, in between, <laughs> when did you start? How old were you when you became a bodybuilder? I was 19
1: years old. 19, okay. yeah, 19 years old. I was in the military
0: in Europe. And who introduced you to weights and said you should start working out and really getting and in, in bodybuilding?
1: Well, at that time, I, had a, I was on the Army boxing team. And after several fights, you know, we had been running – Uh, 13 miles a day, Neil, and my body got extremely lean. And my boxing coach said to me, have you ever thought about bodybuilding? I said, man, what are you talking about? I haven't lost a fight. I thought he was telling me I was washed up in in, uh, boxing. Uh, So I went about 200 miles from where I was stationed. I was stationed in Nuremberg. And I went about 200 miles from where I was uh, stationed and competed and did extremely well. Uh, uh, So I from that point on, I quit the other sports and just started doing bodybuilding, and that became my passion, became my family,
0: Okay, it became everything at that point. But at this point, you've not found God, so you still are depressed, even though you're being... Yes. Scared. And did you, you did not attain, when was the first time you attained a world title? Was it after you found God or before? It was before. Mm-hmm.
1: And that's what really led me towards God, because I thought, man, if I could win the Mr. Universe... That's what's gonna fill my life. I'm gonna be happy. And I won the Mr. America. Then, next thing you know, I'm competing in the Mr. Universe. I win, saddest day of my life. <laughs> what year, what year of my life. Well, How old were you when you won the Mr. Universe? The first Mr. Universe was in 1988. And how old were you? 19, uh, I think I was 28, 29, somewhere in there.
0: Okay, so wow. So, right when you attain the highest level, you're still depressed. And how did you turn to God? So you're at this depressed, you hit the highest level you've achieved, worked all hard to get to this area. You finally got there and there's still emptiness inside and you didn't feel good about yourself. What made you turn to God?
1: Well, you know, I would heard my whole life, how God loved me, but all the pain that I went through as a kid, you know, not being with my mother, not being with my father, not having Santa Claus come around, uh, the, all of the abuse that I went through as a kid, I thought, I believe there's a God, but he must hate me because if he's really God, why didn't he help me through this? So at this point, um, I'm, I'm utterly depressed and I'm empty. And I went to Mr. Universe, I'm thinking, this is my night. So I went to Mr. Universe, go back to my hotel. People tell me, you know, uh, Neil, they were saying, it just hasn't hit you yet, but you're gonna be so happy about exactly. this. I just became more and more depressed, more empty that's when I, uh, I said, God, if you're really real and you really love me, like these people say you do, then change my life. Help me to be different. Yes. And so that's yes. when it, that's when it happened, man.
0: You, you decide to be different and you chose to be different. And there you go. So you only win one Mr. universe. You got a lot more to win. So what changed when you started working for God and you put God in your life and and training and all that stuff did it change (laughs) you did it change how you lived every day kind of tell us that testimonial. okay what happened was
1: uh, I competed the following year I took six months off Neil and I fasted and prayed I did a 40-day water fast uh, because you know I saw in the Bible people were fasting. I lost 52 pounds.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: uh I decided I'm gonna compete again, but this time I'm not gonna compete for me. I'm gonna compete for God. Right. And I'm gonna I'm gonna help other people. And so within six months, I got back in really, really tip-top shape and won the Mr. Universe the next year. But I was just so pleased. One thing I understood with this, Neil, was that I am not. Mr. Universe, but I appreciated that God right. allowed me to hold that title of Mr. Universe, and that it would be something that would open doors for me to be able to help other people and also to grow myself personally. Because I still had this real narrow mindset Right. hadn't yet yet branched out into an entrepreneurial mind.
0: We're gonna get there for sure in this story. As so, you're going through winning them, doing it for God, and you got to be competing for a lot of years to win that many. The people say, are you kidding me? Are you, they're probably like, are you kidding me? You win two or three, fine, but you're not going to just keep winning over and over again. And you did.
1: Yeah. Neil, I'm going to tell you something. People would call me, some of the competitors, they would call me at the bigger competitions and say, "Uh, when are you going to compete? And I would tell them they were trying to find out because they were not going to show up. (laughs) (laughs)
0: So you choose certain ones to compete in. So you don't do all of them, right? There's a big circuit of different events in the bodybuilding. Well, how How's point, that Mr. Universe work? How does it, it take place? How many days and how does that work? Yeah.
1: Well, one thing is uh, in order to compete in the Mr. Universe, you have to qualify for it. You have to place in the top two or three okay. in the Mr. America. And then once you place in the top two or three, it qualifies you to be on the U.S. team. And yeah,
0: so. so you didn't win; you just wanted to qualify. Your goal was the Mister Universe, always. It sounds like. No, my goal was to win the Mister Universe every year, was- and you were, and you did. So, yeah. how yeah. old were you when you won the twenty-first? The twenty-first, I was. How old was I,
1: sweetheart? Forty. 40-
0: 45, 46. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And these guys are half your age. And you're beating them. Yes. Well,
1: well, this is the thing, Neil. I won the Open, the Professional, and the Masters. <laughs> All oh in the gosh. same. Yeah.
0: And they're like, what's going on here? So after you won the 21st, is that when you decided I'm going to change my direction? I've done this. Now it's time. God's leading me to something else, and that's entrepreneurship. Is that where it happened?
1: Well, I, I've, I've um, entrepreneurship probably started maybe 20, 25 years ago, and okay. it just became bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I started doing ministry. I'm also a pastor of a church. Oh wow! Yeah, I'm a pastor of a church. So it it, it just became too many irons in the fire. And bodybuilding is a
0: all consuming uh, sport. It consumes everything. Right. So. What year did you start as a pastor and entrepreneur? It was that after you did that coinciding with doing the Mister Universe?
1: Yes, yes, yes. I I did them both at the same time. But when I started developing physical products, that made it really, really hard because you know we have to we have our inventory coming out of China, and there's just a lot of logistics that goes along with that. That it uh, it it actually fragment. You know, I was fragmenting what I was trying to accomplish.
0: So basically on natural bodybuilding, did you pave the way to say what you did as an entrepreneur, other guys wanted to start to emulate? Because a lot of those guys don't make a ton of money, right? Just doing the bodybuilding alone. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You're so right about that. You know, you have to do, when you start off in bodybuilding, it has to be for the love of the sport. And in order to get to a certain level, you have to be genetically gifted. If you're not genetically gifted, there's some things that you can do. It's like um, Michael Jordan. He would not be a great right. bodybuilder, but man, what a basketball player he makes.
0: So much so. Yeah, definitely. So, and that's, you are the Michael Jordan of natural bodybuilding. Is that what people consider you?
1: No, I as, as a matter of fact, I uh I compared myself to Michael Jordan once. I had retired for seven years, went into the ministry. Okay. And again, I went on another 40-day fast. For seven years, I'm not competing, not even oh my working out very hard. And I remember when the Lord asked me to retire, and I retired with alligator tears. I just did not want to retire. Right. And so here I am behind the pulpit, Neil. I'm preaching the gospel. My gosh. And as I'm preaching. I hear this voice say, you can have it back. And uh, I mean, it was hilarious. It was hilarious. Here I am, this old guy, going to go back into the sport of bodybuilding. I'm standing up in a suit, but I imagine myself with this congregation, with my little posing trunks on, uh, preaching. And I start laughing. So they the, the congregation start laughing. And I, I'm thinking if they knew what I'm seeing, right. they would know what I'm laughing. So I laugh even harder. But I left that day and I asked God, I said, what was that? And he said, I want you to go back into competition. Oh and I God. said, I don't want to be like Michael Jordan. I don't want to come back and just be good. If I come back, I have to be the best. So I had to design the best program, the best supplements, the best uh, nutrition plan. And man, I came back. Uh, And I was better, at least 20 to 30% better than I'd ever been.
0: Did you win? Absolutely. Oh, wow. And then that's the way you walked away. So you won 20 of them, retired, then went back for 21. No, uh,
1: what happened was I had won seven. I had won, uh, I came back and won seven competitions in one year. It was seven, I won seven, I was, was retired for seven years competed seven times. Then I took a seven day vacation, seven, seven, seven.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) during that time you create, you created your own products. So that's really the big entrepreneurship, right? You figured out I got to be able to make money and I not just in the sport, but I got to figure out money. That's going to be real lasting money for your legacy, right? Absolutely.
1: And with that, uh, the ironic thing about this is every product that we've ever created was out of a personal need. Uh-huh. Uh, I became the demographic and just so happened other people love what I made and they wanted it also. So then we right. we, um, we took it to the market. So what
0: kind of products have you created?
1: Well, a lot of them are fitness products. We have uh, supplements as well as physical products. One product that's, that's gone crazy, man, is an in-home fitness piece of equipment called the Iron Master. Oh it wow. Yeah, uh, it's gone crazy with uh, with sales. Uh, then we have nutritional products. And um, yeah, so we just really enjoy doing that. And we also have an online
0: fitness program that we that we uh, that we administer as well. And what do you think the big thing you're promoting right now, going out and doing stuff? What is the big thing you're trying to promote right now? Your story? What would you say, Tony? Right now? Or Ron, what are you saying?
1: Well, one, the real key with me is we have a a program that includes mind makeover. And the biggest thing for me, Neil, was I had an impoverished mentality, which helped me to survive. But in order for me to thrive, it all had to take place between my ears. My body will do nothing unless my mind gives it permission. So I began what, what happened to me was there's a true transformation that took place and when I say yeah. transformation, a lot of people uh, look at that word and they only define it as a change. Okay. The transformation is a change, but it's without the ability to go back. A caterpillar okay. turns into a butterfly. He never crawls again. So I'll never be that same guy that I used to be. I'll never be that depressed guy. I'll never be that guy who thought
0: really, really small because everything exactly. is. Yeah. Yeah. And you want to teach others that same thing then, right?
1: Yes. One thing is that it's possible. It's that you don't have to stay in the condition that you're in. If you don't like
0: it, change it. <laughs> exactly. And so how do you kind of go through that whole process of that state of life to say that, like, what is that? Like, what, what do you tell people that are a right, right now because of COVID or want to try to change their life and get out of what they're currently doing?
1: Well, if, if, as I said, if, if they don't like their life, then uh, there's, there's, there's a mechanism inside of you. Uh, one of those things is what you have to say about yourself. A lot of times we don't realize that how powerful our words really, really are. And our words come from thoughts. Right. And those thoughts are sometimes come from what other people said or what they think about us. But there's, a, there's, a, there's an inner part of me that wants right. to hear what I have to say about me. So, say for instance, if 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 you say to me, Ron, you're stupid, I yeah. have a
0: lot of respect for you. No, you're not supposed to say right
1: to that man.
0: <laughs> Ten. so I could. I'm a big guy like you, not built like me, but a former pro wrestler, six foot 10, 300 pounds, but not the muscle I had before. Never like muscle like you. But I'm just playing with you, but no, I just I'm, I'm just answering you. No, you're not. Okay, okay. So,
1: so, but that was that was um, so so so. You tell me I'm stupid. I respect you a lot. So I embrace those words that you said, and I begin to think that I'm stupid, and I begin to say to myself that I'm stupid. So. Right,
0: exactly. When people tell you you can't do something, it goes in your insides like you're just like, you know, if people don't yes. believe in you, it's the worst thing in the world. That's right. what do you tell That's people right. when they say that? When you know you can, yet they think you're a dreamer that you can't.
1: Yeah. And I always say this about dreams. Dreams are for those who sleep, but now it's time to wake up, roll your sleeves up, turn that dream into a vision and put some hands and feet to it and bring it to pass. And
0: the only way you can do that is by being focused and have intention. You can't go willy nilly and you're to go after your goals. Right. That's right.
1: That's absolutely right, man. That's absolutely.
0: How do you teach that? So how do you kind of bundle? once you figure it out and you figure it out is there strategies are you a very structured person are you do you like have 90 day goals do you short term long term explain that to people
1: Yeah. One thing is we have, we have a program and we do teach it because what, what, one thing I think most people don't realize is when we talk about addictions, we talk about physical things. We talk about things like drugs, alcohol, pornography, sex addiction. We talk about those things, but we, and, and what makes those addictions, those things addictions is they release endorphins and we're drawn to those things. But what most people don't understand is we can have addictive thoughts. And those yes. thoughts can be negative thoughts that actually release endorphins. And we'll fight for those. And we'll manipulate. We'll do whatever uh, we need to do. First, we identify the addictive thought process. And we begin to go through a 12-step uh, process to help them reverse, which uh, part of that is visualization. It's right. developing your... I am. I mean, it's a long process that we take them through. And man, some of the results we've seen are tremendous. And what I had to do is this was a long process for me. I trouble, I began to go through and troubleshoot what I went through and we begin to document it
0: so that we can transfer to other people. So you really look at your challenges you've gone through and how you overcame them to teach others that when you have those bumps in the road, To keep moving forward and and break through that wall, it sounds like.
1: Neil, I was born for this, man. Every every challenge that I ever went through has turned into a blessing so that I could help somebody else.
0: So you kind of look back and say you made a decision a couple years ago to kind of take a step back for the family or some reason. And then you look three years later and say, why did I? But yet now I'm making that decision to change do you you don't look back you keep moving forward right you want to look at that if it was a mistake or it was something that was needed you'll understand more later why that was needed it sounds like
1: well one thing the mistakes that i've made one is i've dealt with you know i i, I uh some people say well your past is your past leave it there but right the problem with that is if you don't deal with your past you're moving forward living in your past right and so what we have to do is face the past, face the demons, as they say, face yes. the demons, close the door, then turn around so you can see your bright
0: future. But your past will track you, man, if you don't. if, if you So don't you really it. want to look at the past so you don't repeat your history doesn't repeat itself. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Looking at it, so you draw it out in journals. Ron, what do you do when you look at specific parts of your life and want to make sure that you don't make those mistakes, but you also learn from those things so that you do implement things differently now do you write them down as journals take notes what do you do absolutely i write them down and then i rewrite it man uh rewrite it the way it's supposed to be so you're a journal you like journal writing then it sounds like i really don't but it's necessary (laughs) well you don't like it because you're always going but it's necessary you teach people how important it is to write those things down absolutely and rewrite them so what's the purpose of rewriting? So let's say I take notes and say, okay, I remember this. Like there, there, I was in this one room on Clubhouse about journal writing with a bunch of women. And I was thinking, I don't have time to journal write. Tell us <laughs> that
1: importance of why. Well, this is, this is the real reason why. Because sometimes you have thoughts that float around in your head. If it's not spoken or written right. down. They just continue to float. They're, they're, they're not made concrete. So, I'll give you an example. Like, I was um, sexually molested as a child. Oh, no. And that affected me terribly in the way that I thought. So, I go back to that time, those same feelings and same emotions, they also have triggers. So, if you were to touch me a certain way, it would take me right back oh, to goodness. that time as if it happened yesterday. So I would go back to that time, rehearse what it felt like, rehearse what I thought, rehearse the person who did that. And then I had to go through a process of completely releasing them and forgiving them and rewriting that story because um, otherwise I get stuck. As that three-year-old child that was molested, here I am a grown man and an adult right. still feeling those same feelings and emotions as a three-year-old. So I have to get rid of that. And the only way that I can release that person and get that part of my out of my life is to completely forgive them. And so I, I, I wrote it down. Some, some of the people that abused me when I was a kid, I actually had to go to them and say, Why? And then get an understanding, right. release them, and move forward. I mean, I had so many—I mean, so many things, Neil—that I had to troubleshoot so that my life could get back on track. I understand why young people go through what they go through, and um, it, it's a type of PTSD. Right. If you were to look it up, it's called Hood H O O D Hood's disease, and it's a
0: real term that psychologists and psychiatrists use. All right, so to go ahead now, what you're talking, your can people take your course now on? Are they able to- Absolutely. Where can they go?
1: Well, that that particular course is uh, yourchampionbody.com. And what we do is we want your physical body only to be a reflection of what's taking place inside. So as your inside changes, you also see the outside change. That's where transformation
0: takes place. Wow. And then your products are available on the website as well? Or do you have a different spot where your products are?
1: Yeah, we have um, your champion body uh, website. We have iron chess master, and we also have Ron Williams
0: Ministries.com. So you're busy still doing the pastorship while doing all the other stuff. How do you find time for all of it? Well, one thing is um, the products,
1: those, that's what I do. The ministry. That's who I am. That is who I truly love people. And I haven't always been able to say that.
0: I love right. people. And I want to help people and see their lives change. Neil. And so what's your ultimate goal, I guess, is the, the living the legacy. It sounds like, right, Ron? Living the legacy.
1: That's right. That's right. I'm going to live the legacy. And um, I listened to one of your podcasts, a uh, couple of your podcasts, actually, with Kevin Sorbo. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I just thought it was pretty awesome, man.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. All the different people I get to interview. Uh, and you're an amazing guy. Definitely like to have a part two, but more of just taking us down a different road, Ron, than just this. You know, there's a lot of your story. Just we could cover one chapter, each lesson of what you can do, but all those different things. So have you jumped on Clubhouse to share your story yet? Have you? Been, no. Or do you have an iPhone? I do. You need to get on clubhouse and any okay. other people invited you yet. No, no clubhouse is amazing. It's, but it's, it takes up time, but it's worthwhile and it's inspiring. So definitely uh, great connecting with you and appreciate coming on and everyone needs to check out all your different stuff and inspiring. But I mean, the inspiring thing is you're the Michael Jordan of bodybuilding. And Whoa. I couldn't imagine 21 championships. And this is your fruits of your labor is what we're seeing in your own your home, home gym right over here, right? What you're showing? <laughs>
1: that's right. That's right.
0: That the fruits of your labor to have a nice gym like that, where you can work out and, and not get COVID, keep training and doing what you need to do. So I appreciate you stopping by, Ron.
1: Thank you so Thank much, you. man. God bless you. Appreciate God bless you. you
0: too. Take care. Okay. All right, guys. That was the Neil Haley Show. Take care. Neil Haley here. Lensec has been a sponsor of the Neil Haley Show and Total Media Network for around a year and a half. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about Lensec. Lensec has been a pioneer in IP security videos since 1998. The company is a trusted security partner with experience around the world. Lensec has experience working with customers in higher education, K-12 education, government, public safety, critical infrastructure, healthcare, commercial, and more. The physical security experts at Lensec help customers develop enterprise solutions for their complex physical security projects using our flagship software, Perspective VMS. Lensec's enterprise level video management software, Perspective VMS, is a browser-based software that streams and captures IP security camera video. The latest version of PVMS uses HTML5 Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Caregiver Dave celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you? It's just we're just keep rolling in April. Uh, It's April Fool's Day, and uh, I I can't believe it. April first, and we're still living in a pandemic world, Dave. Both you and Victoria are in LA. I'm in Pittsburgh, and we're all shut down compared to other places in the country that are opened up. Like I talked to my friends in Tampa, it seems like it's a normal thing. I ate out for the first time, Dave, yesterday. Had lunch. I ate in a restaurant. It was really weird in a whole year. How are you? Yeah. Have you done it more? Yeah, we're a little better here, but we were still eating outside over a a tent and stuff. Oh, so there's no indoor dining. It was an indoor dining, Dave. So you put your mask on, which is the goofiest thing in the world. You put your mask on, okay? You go and put your mask on, (laughs) and then you sit down and take it off. Okay, if I'm going to walk around, I'm going to make sure I have my mask on. Then I'm going to go get ready to leave, put my mask on, and walk out, and then take it off again. So that's it. But our guest today, go ahead and introduce our guest. I cannot wait to chat with her. I know she wants to jump on Clubhouse with me as well. Introduce our guest today. You and Clubhouse, you're doing great with that thing. Yeah, so but we... now Fireside too, which I can't mention. I've been asked to be a creator on Fireside for Mark Cuban's program. Else is a wow. creator. So I, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a training next week with that. So I'm looking forward to that too. So I'm not going to put all my eggs in a Clubhouse basket. That's not the way to do it. And Twitter spaces, I'm waiting for an invite. Uh, to Victoria, and we'll have to ask Victoria if she has one. But go ahead, Dave, and introduce our guest. Well, we've got
2: the beautiful Victoria Gordon. And as you can see, she's very beautiful. And she inherited uh, her lifestyle from show business family. And right now, she's doing uh, a new anthology called Pilot Season. And welcome to the show, Victoria.
3: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here.
0: Now, Victoria, I was reading in your bio, two years old, you started to act and do stuff. Is that correct?
3: That's a bit of an exaggeration. (laughs) So when I was two, my parents were always very strict about not letting me act. Um, It wasn't until I was a teenager that they let me actually do anything professional. But when I was two, my great uncle was a symphony conductor. And he would have an annual big concert gala here in L.A., where he would do what was called the Battle of Batons. And celebrities would come and they'd conduct the orchestra and the audience would pick their favorite to win the golden baton. And <laughs> somebody had to bring the golden baton out on stage. So when I was like two, my mom said, you know what, she's old enough, she can walk in a straight line, she's gonna do it. So she hands me a, like a stick, essentially a baton, painted gold with a bow on it and pushes me out. And I'm two and I'm just being pushed out in front of a crowd <laughs> and I don't know what to do. So I just kind of, you know, make a cute little expression and wave and the audience is laughing. And my great uncle, who was not, one to be upstaged. He was the star of every show. <laughs> even he had to stop and laugh at this sight of his little great niece toddling out on stage to hand him the baton. So I, I knew from that moment, without even knowing it, because I don't remember it, that I was going to be a performer.
0: But why did it take so long?
3: Well, I mean, it didn't really, when you start to think about it, I started playing violin at four. I began singing when I was about 10. I started... Oh. So I was always acting, I would do school plays and I would do drama camp. And my parents' whole thing was, but you can't act until you're 18 because they had seen enough from the other side. And they were like, we don't want you in that life. So I thought that was just what was gonna happen. And the day I turned 18, I was gonna go out and become a star. Um, But then when I was 14, my dad took me, he was like guest teaching an acting class for a friend of his. And he took me and the coach who was there said, okay, look, if you're gonna be here, you gotta act. So I was like, okay. I'll act. So he gives me a newspaper clipping. and I have to improvise a character based on the newspaper clipping. And it was like a dog whisperer or something like this woman from Boston. And I did this whole routine where I was this dog whisperer woman from Boston. And it was so funny that when it was over, the acting coach said to my dad, why does she not, why is she not out there making money and like doing this? And my dad said, well, obviously, you know why? And he said, no, I don't. I have no good reason why your kid is not out there. And that's when I got my first agent and started working.
0: Wow. But violin and everything, Dave, wow. She's impressive, isn't she? Dave, you're on mute.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> April Fool, I'm not being April Fools, you're on mute, man. Let's
3: see. So you, you went
2: to Beverly Hills High School, right?
3: Oh, yes, I did.
2: So tell me, let's start there. What's it like going to Beverly Hills High School, growing up with all of the big superstars that were just, you know, horny teenagers, I guess? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs>
3: well you know i'm a second generation beverly high alum my mom also went to beverly wow. and i think the thing that is really important to note about beverly hills and especially about the high school is that it's not all swimming pools and movie stars and And there's and
0: two right there's two different high schools in beverly hills right yeah,
3: there's just the one the one on 90210 was made up
0: okay i knew that
3: because i yeah. ended up,
0: yeah.
3: <laughs> <clears throat> um there's technically an alternative school that's attached to the high school and that's like where angelina jolie went but The main high school that almost everyone who has gone to Beverly Hills schools goes to is Beverly Hills High School. And the thing that's so important is that there is a very strong culture of, I don't want to say poverty, that's the wrong term, but not everyone who is in Beverly Hills has a ton of money and a huge house. We have a huge percentage of our residents who are renters, and I think like 12% of people living below the poverty line. We have one of the most disparate economies of any city in the country because we have the extremely wealthy and then the extremely poor. And it's very hard for them to get service because they live in Beverly Hills. So it's an interesting place to grow up for sure. But there is also that celebrity component, that element of, you know, this person's dad was on this thing or this person's mom did that thing. When my mom went there, especially, I mean, she was close with Carrie Fisher and um, there were other celebrity kids who were there at the same time. I'm wow. trying to- So, I mean, she had some really cool ones, but regardless, we're in high school. I mean, everyone's just a person. I I feel like high schoolers have So who
0: famous did you go to high school with when you went to those? Logan Lerman
3: was actually a year ahead of me, Logan Lerman. And um, we have some people who are up and coming that you're going to be hearing about in the coming years. I think some people who really have a lot going for them. And mostly though, I feel like a lot of the kids I went to school with were not really kids anymore. I've seen a lot of people going into tech and like fields like that and less into entertainment, which is kind yeah, of Yeah,
0: because you wouldn't think lots of people in Hollywood live in Beverly Hills. They don't, they either live where they're actors, right? Where do they well, yeah, live? I mean,
3: Beverly Hills is not the most desirable place to live if you're an actor. It's not really close to anything. There's no major freeway nearby. So most actors live either further out like into Toluca Lake or some are really artsy. Like I think Billie Eilish is over in Silver Lake. She's not an actor, but she's in Silver Lake or Echo Park. Um, you get people in Brentwood with these big mansions or Santa Monica you do, there are definitely celebrities in Beverly Hills. Do not get me wrong. Um, I see Jay Leno all the time. Jay Leno drives through with his cars and it's like the coolest thing to see in the morning. And because um, <laughs> well, he has such a great collection, but um it's less about the celebrity culture now, more about the people I find that are moving into Beverly Hills are like in tech or in finance, less of the like. Okay. types.
2: Well, I'm, I'm curious though, who are some of the poorer people who are living in apartments in beverly hills what is their motivation i mean are they just trying to break into the business or obviously often
3: the schools no often it's to get their kids into beverly hills schools because Beverly oh. hills are stronger than los angeles schools so yeah. they move into these apartments and actually on the tv show 90210 andrea zuckerman lived in her grandmother's apartment so she could go to beverly or well, west beverly
0: i remember that yes gotcha.
3: yes yeah. So she was kind of a classic example of that. But no, there is that. But also, I know some people who just, you know, aren't particularly wealthy, but they found a decent rent and they thought it was a safe area to live. And they just figured, well, I might as well live in Beverly Hills. I can live anywhere. So we have both sides of it. And I think that's something that people often forget or don't know.
0: All right. So you go through this process of, uh, you know, growing up Beverly Hills, then going on into where did you did you attend did college after that? Where, I did. Where, I went to
3: USC. It? I was a fourth okay, generation. Hey, my
0: alma mater. Okay. <laughs> Woo, okay.
3: So, how about the whole
0: USC scandal and everything? What did you think of that? Uh, that was I, crazy. Okay. I watched it on Netflix, and I loved that. That was awesome. I'm sure, she
2: already yeah. knew what was going on. I was
3: <laughs> mortified. I mean, I went to USC when I started there. We had just we were in the first year of the two year suspension for the Heisman scandal. So I was like, okay, I'm just not going to talk about football. Which, obviously, going to USC, you only talk about football. Right. Um, then, at, long after I graduated, this scandal happens. And my sister and I look at each other, because she also went to USC. And we're like, great. Now everyone's going to assume we bought our way in. And, in fact, we went on a family vacation not long after this broke. And every time someone said, well, where did you go to school? We were like, USC. But but we got in legitimately. We, we totally Is got that, in legitimately. But like, would
0: you think of the Netflix thing? That was pretty – it was kind of weird. It was it was kind of funny, but it was so tragic. Did you, you watch the Netflix?
3: It? Because my mom – and a friend of hers are the two of them because they both have kids who went to usc are like obsessed with this scandal and i think the goal has been to kind of do like a watch party of some sort either once we're all vaccinated or virtually so we haven't been able to get it together yet but i really do want to see it because i just i'm so curious to know if i went to school with someone who i'm sure i, I mean obviously i did but i don't i do have a friend this is not at usc this is at 10 actually so kind of more in your neck of the woods who told me that there was a guy she met at orientation who was like an athlete but he didn't really seem like an athlete and like he seemed kind of right. like he didn't really know what his sport was and she's like i bet he was part of it
0: see dave did you watch it on netflix yet uh-huh. okay dave you're betting mute again are you there you're no i it. did not <laughs> you did not oh see what is it called i forget you know the name of it victoria right of
3: university blues
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, and, and you don't know a part of the whole scandal, but I'm a former tutor and SAT tutor as well. So I'm a former teacher. So that's why I really liked it. And it reminded me going into houses. I said, man, I didn't pick the right business
1: because that no, was I, unbelievable. I've seen, I've, the, I've the, seen it the, money the
0: guy made before he even did that but he was a salesman completely and got the families in this college counseling thing. And I didn't know it was such a big business. I don't know why high yeah. school guidance counselors or college counselors even get into it. They should just do the private thing. It's much more money.
3: I know, I, I mean, honestly, I was a really good high school. I mean, I was a good college student too, but speaking about getting into college, I was a very good high school student. I had, just dates me a little bit, but I had a 2180 SAT. Wow. And I, I had an 800 on the writing section. Um, and I worked really hard. So I worked my tail off and got into USC, which to some people were like, that's all you could do, but no, that was what <laughs> we wanted to be. That's no, not easy. No, it's not. I feel like when my cousin, so I'm a fourth generation. So the early ones that was hard to get in. In the middle there, I think there was this reputation of, you know, you pay to see, you get the degree. Um, but then by the time my sister and I turned up, it was a serious academic institution. We were there in the post sample era, um, Stephen sample, right. being president who really stewarded the university and it was just very much an academic institution and we had to work hard to get in so it was disappointing. Oh, no, realize- it's really
0: difficult to get in USC that's what I did not know till the, till the documentary so at least you know that for sure all right Dave sorry we're going into that we'll digress <laughs> with the next question Dave so yeah well, I was reading about on. yeah
2: go ahead I was reading about how you have a lot of great stories so why don't you tell us a great story about some of the things that you've been through
3: Okay, let me think of a good one. Okay, I've got one. This is like <laughs> one of my best stories. So when I was a high school senior, we ha- my great uncle's orchestra had a concert. My great uncle had recently passed away. We were doing a big concert, not really as like a last hurrah for his orchestra, but just kind of like, you know, we're moving in a new direction without him. And um, Carol Channing was coming to sing and she lived in Northern California. So my uncle was like, we got to arrange a car to go pick up Carol Channing at the airport. I don't it's like, I don't have time for this. My mom said... We will pick up Carol Channing. So my mom pulls me out of school early. We get in the car. We drive to LAX. We pick up Carol Channing and her husband, ah. put them in the car, drive them an hour to their hotel. And the whole way, they're telling us stories. I mean, these people have incredible stories. It's Carol Channing sitting in the back seat of my car. Exactly. And, um, <laughs> I mean, it was insane. And what was so cool was that she was married at the end of her life to a man named Harry. And Carol and Harry had been like middle school, like junior high sweethearts. And they lost touch. They married other people. And then when she was like 80, they reconnected
1: wow.
3: and got married. And she said, oh. you never forget your first love.
1: <laughs> and then
3: we get there. We get to their hotel. We've had this long chat about her work in arts education and everything. And we get out, we get her bags in, we get into the lobby of the hotel. She takes one look at me. She says, Victoria, I couldn't tell in the car. You're so beautiful. And I was like, "I'm Shannon people? <laughs> so that was one of those experiences I was like, I will never ever forget Having to thrive with Carol and Harry It was so special and they were just the loveliest people
0: So I have stories too As a former professional wrestler, Victoria But one is I, ran, I met The Rock before he's The Rock And now the show and everything we were on the same show together We worked on tours in pro wrestling together wow. down South and he wore my knee pads We forgot for TV in Memphis, Tennessee <laughs> So when I watch the show now Young Rock, who I got to interview two of the stars From Young Rock I was like, "Oh my goodness!" But I love the show because it's exactly the pro wrestling life, especially the territories and watching his dad. How he always had to put put himself over, even though he was just a you know a, he, a big thing at one point. I remember all the guys because then if you saw the movie <gasps> The Wrestler, that's the same story. Did you ever see The, movie, the Wrestler?
3: I feel like I did, but that yeah, was that's with. I forget who
0: played in that, the wrestler, but that was my life as well, the wrestler, if you get a wow, chance to watch okay. that, Dave. If you get to watch that life, except the drugs, I but I was around a lot of drugs, but not me. So, you know, but uh, it's just always interesting to look at those stories. But now I just have to say, The title of your show, Pilot Season. (laughs) What an awesome thing, because guess what? I talk to actors all the time. And when pilot season comes, everything shuts down of what you're doing. It's pilot season. We can't do media. It's pilot season. This and how did you come up with the name?
3: Well, I mean, that was kind of the joke is like, you know, it's pilot season. And most of the time a network after going through everything will maybe call it down to like five pilots in each genre, like five comedy, five drama, and they might not even pick up that many depending on what they're keeping. But since I was putting out five different pilots, I was like, this is my own little pilot season. I I think I actually said at some point, this is like my own little version of pilot season, like my full slate of pilots. I was like, that's what we call the show pilot season because it's five different pilots. They're all a little different targeting different audiences. And they're the kind of thing where a network might have a slate of five slightly different pilots and have to pick which audiences they're targeting.
0: Yeah, definitely. So what did people think that when you created this, the name, right? What were their thoughts? You know, how creative were? Oh, droll. Because I know everyone says it's pilot season. I'm auditioning for pilot season. It's a a love-hate relationship, isn't it, for actors, pilot season?
3: Oh, totally. But for a couple of my friends who aren't quite at the level of being at pilot season auditions, they were like, I get to say I'm working at pilot season. And I'm like, say it however you want. Just say it. Um, So that was nice too. But also each episode, since it's a different pilot, had its own title. So most of the time we would refer to them less by the whole collective and more by like, okay, you're working on this one. You're working on Fame Adjacent. You're working on Behind the Times. And that's also honestly how I kept it straight. Otherwise I would have been like, Episode four. Which one's episode four? <laughs> I would not have catched because they were all different shows. I had to really keep track. All
0: right. So where is the streaming? Where do you use use or are how are you streaming this?
3: I'm using Watching. YouTube for this. And okay. I have been using Twitch for my singing shows. And Twitch is a very good platform for a lot of things, but I don't think it's quite right for this because you can't really save a video forever on Twitch. And I felt like YouTube is pretty accessible. Everyone knows YouTube and just What are
0: your take? What's your take on OTT networks coming? They're competing like a Hulu that they're putting out. A lot of people are creating their own OTT networks. What are your thoughts on that?
3: No, I think it's really interesting. I just, I'm questioning how long this can, how sustainable it is. I feel like, like I was talking to a friend of mine recently about the number of different content avenues we have to pursue as performers. It's such a hamster wheel that I'm shocked that there are that many people who feel they have that much content that they can either access or create and I think the only way this is going to really work is if a lot of people start teaming up. Otherwise, it's just going to die off.
0: Well, that's what we're seeing in Clubhouse now. Basically, creating your own rooms might not even be worth its time unless you're a niche because you're not going to grow the audience you want to grow anymore because it's getting so large. And we're, I mean, every week is different based on, you know, being in the these phases. But we're seeing different, you know, I guess, growing pains in certain ways, but I understand all these different places. Now we're gonna have all these voice apps to go on. We have all the social media. Now we're talking OTT networks where like, again, I think is a, if you're creating an OTT network and you can make more money off the advertisers than you would if you were per se on YouTube, remember, because guess how many dollars YouTube's making off those commercials? I know A lot, a lot more, crazy. but if yeah. you owned your own and you got the same numbers, you're gonna be getting a lot more advertising. What percent does YouTube give off of commercials? But those are the things. But I agree with you. It's so hard to say, well, it's like all the different streaming networks now. It's not just Netflix and Hulu. You got Amazon. You got now you have NBC's network. You have Disney's network. It just, it goes on and on, right?
3: Oh, there's so much. Uh, And I was talking to not long ago, someone about an incident I was involved in where someone tried to create a network, bought a ton of stuff, kind of like, with an advance it wasn't a substantial advance but like with the promise of a lot of back-end and the person who was doing the sales got scammed by the person who created the network wow it was really disappointing to me i mean it wasn't surprising i wasn't expecting much but it was really disappointing to see how someone had poured his heart and soul he's like look guys i got sold like they they screwed me over and i'm sorry i got you all trapped in this i'm like i barely got trapped Like, you, you gave me nothing so um but I mean, it's really tough. And I feel like the only way this is going to really work is if they start creating, if these networks become part of something bigger. And I feel like, like you're saying with Clubhouse, it's so true. I wouldn't just start a room now. I'd have to go through an existing large club.
0: Oh, well, you know me now. You know me, so <laughs> I'm getting a, a, you know, Grant Cardone jumped in my room a couple of weeks ago.
3: Oh, is that the one where there was that big fight?
0: No, thank goodness no it was a I, I I host Club pod, which is the largest podcasting uh group um club on clubhouse, and we had about eighty sixty people in and it he jumped in it was about four hundred and forty so it was a pretty interesting group but it's all changing in so many ways for sure oh
3: absolutely absolutely my mom's on clubhouse i mean it, it's becoming that kind of network so Dave's on
0: clubhouse too but he's not been in a while he doesn't understand the money to be made on clubhouse is extremely busy
2: doing a lot of commercial uh, okay
0: stuff. i know you've been busy doing this whole tv deal with the gas stations dave but we're yeah. going to get to that what other questions do you have for victoria about pilot season anything else i have a couple too but um, I just wanted to back
2: up briefly about COVID. I mean, we have actors on the show all the time and COVID either devastates the last year of their life. How did it affect you?
3: Well, it's, it's been devastating, but also very promising. I mean, obviously at first, I keep a line a day journal and I look back at my entries from last year and it's like, I was panicked. I didn't know what was going on. I thought Me I mean, we all were. And I remember a couple of cases, we all had this moment pretty early on where someone we know got sick or someone we know died. And it was i think everyone had a different moment of reckoning where it's like oh god this is like a real thing and for me that came pretty early on when i know someone whose parents both died within 24 hours of each other oh goodness it's like this is real this is this is not some made-up thing this is not going anywhere and then i started to use the time that i had because at first let's be real nobody did anything um to be creative and i did some shows online i wrote a lot and i took advantage of that free time now The flip side is I've been sitting home for like 13 months. I can count the number of social engagements I've had in the last year on one hand, literally. Um, And it's getting to a point now where I'm like, please just open. Although good news for us in LA, Dave, I read last night on deadline that LA is likely to hit herd immunity by the end of June. So that could really help.
2: Well, that's, I'm supposed to be in London in June. So I I hope London has hit that point as well.
3: Fingers crossed.
0: (laughs) Okay, so pilot season, you didn't give us the premise. I love, I mean, I guess it's pretty much common sense. It's all about (laughs) pilot season, right? Is there, what character do you play?
3: No, 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 so it's not like that. So it's five, each one is, it's an anthology. Each one is a separate pilot. So I have five different pilots that I've written. And each one is a different story with different characters and a different setup. And it sets up an entire series. So the idea being you're watching five pilots, like you're a network executive being given a slate of pilots.
0: But they ha- they are involved in pilot season still. Are you sure in the behind the scenes in each one of the pilot season? No,
3: no, no. they No, they are five pilots. I mean, oh, like the okay. first one was like a multi-cam pilot. And then we had one that was a dramedy pilot. And like we had a couple of single cams that all had sort of different tones. So I was in two of them and I directed the other three. And yeah. they really have very little to do with actual pilot season except that they're pilots. Um, gotcha.
0: Yeah. Which is so
3: you're of, not
2: starring uh, in all of them.
3: No, I'm in... I'm in two, I directed three and I actually really enjoyed that experience because I'm not directing is the one for me. That's always kind of like, eh, I don't know. I don't want to do that. <laughs> uh, so by not being in them, I gave myself the opportunity to really hone my directing skills and I'm glad I did mm. that was a lot of fun.
0: Okay, Dave, uh, go ahead and ask your caregiver, uh, caregiver question to Victoria. Well, you know, you see
2: behind me, this is my life now. I, I used to just be mobile. Dave had a mobile gas station. And uh, one day, 25 years ago, when my wife and I were in the emptiness phase of life, we're thinking about traveling, you know, we raised our three daughters, got them all out of the house. We even got them all married, each one twice. Wow. <laughs> and my wife complains about this headache she had. She was only like 52 years old. I was 42. And uh, the headache turned into a stroke. She lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And our, our world turned upside down. And I'm saying, oh, my gosh, you know, but. You know, like most people do you you try to find the good in the bad, and we grieve for a couple of years. but then you know we we decided to reinvent ourselves now she still can 't talk, she can communicate through pictionary charades, and she has a power chair and she can 't walk but we 've been traveling the world just uh, helping caregivers get around because thirty percent of them actually die before their loved ones do and now mm-hmm. lately, with gas prices going up because I still own a gas station for forty two years. Everyone wants me on TV talking about, well, why are gas prices going up? So, I mean, uh, and now they're making a movie on my life uh, about caregiving and stuff like that. So, I mean, I'm I'm just excited. But my question on this caregiver segment (laughs) is, has caregiving touched your life? Because I believe you're either going to become a caregiver or you're going to need a caregiver eventually, everybody. It wasn't on my resume and I just, boom, instantly was one overnight. Have you thought about it, Have any of your relatives?
3: uh... Oh, wow, no, you're asking a question that's right in my wheelhouse. So I had five grandparents, my two grandmothers, two grandfathers, and my great uncle who was never married, never had kids and treated us like his grandkids. So they all aged. I mean, my grandfather, one grandfather died kind of young, very suddenly, 82, not like super young, but young compared to the others. Um, But then the other four all had some form of caregiver and my great uncle needed full-time care for the last two and a half years of his life, which was a huge job. My mom had to coordinate every single day to make sure the right caregivers were there. It was a constant struggle to make sure he was getting the care he needed. Um, My paternal grandmother had Alzheimer's and lived in a nursing home. And it was really tough watching as my grandfather's role went from being, you know, husband who is in a partnership to provider for his wife. I mean, advocate everything and i was a little too young to really get involved but i watched what happened and i always admired the fact that he made her fights his fights um my maternal grandmother was fine up until the last weeks of her life when she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer and had full-time care and watching her go from someone who i mean every day got up and went to the office to what happened at the end of her life i am so grateful to the people who were taking care of her because the last thing she wanted was for any of us to feel like you know we had to do anything for she was that kind of person. Um, but my last one, my grandfather is the one who had the most hands-on care. My my dad's dad, I, I God rest his soul, I love my grandpa Al, but he was a stubborn man and he <laughs> insisted on living alone even though he was deaf and somewhat blind. And so, like, he was constantly getting himself into messes. I mean, one time he scraped his hand open, you know, he was opening a can of soup and he scraped his whole hand across and I had to get a ton of stitches. I mean, my dad had to become the parent in the parent child relationship
2: role reversal
3: watching that was so difficult but at the same time it's just a reminder that you know we all have a role to play in these relationships and we think of it as oh he's parentified you know they he's being parentified as an adult which doesn't really make sense but right we all the roles evolve as time goes on and i'm grateful that i got to see firsthand people handle it really respectfully and really well and ultimately caregiving is huge i feel like we are all very fortunate to have the people we have in our lives. And if you care about them, yeah. that's, that's how you do it.
2: Yeah, well, that's why I started caregiverdave.com just to help caregivers to have a support.
0: And you know, I couldn't make it without support, but check that out. That, yeah. All right. So Victoria, best place to connect with you. Where can we go?
3: Okay. Well, my recommendation is you come to my Twitter, which is not my Twitter. I do not have a Twitter because they will not <laughs> let me have my full name. Um, so I am on Instagram at the Victoria Gordon. Um, my website is also the Victoria there you can find out everything you ever wanted to know about me and possibly more um you can get in touch with me you can watch my pilots you can whatever you want to do pretty much and if you don't see something you like there just message me because i always respond
0: oh awesome all right well we appreciate it victoria thanks again dave and guys you can take care thank you all right and we'll see you on clubhouse all right guys uh, listening and watching the caregiver dave celebrity segment take care guys
3: celebrity merchandise, gift cards, and more. Download Celebrity Slots today!